0: One of the things that has been most difficult for you as a congregation probably over the last three or four years is that the elders have entered into a process of trying to discipline you to not glory in the things that you normally glory in and to not boast in the things that we all have been taught to boast in but rather to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. And some of you have been met at different places. Some of you have been challenged on the issue of whether or not you should seize the initiative that you have as a woman today and go for all the gusto you can, roar with Helen ready, and be a woman. And we have been calling you to give up that idol, that boast, and to be a godly woman who gives herself to humility, who is willing to be led by a husband who's a fool. Or, as I said at ECC one time, a horse's ass. (laughs) And this is hard. It's very, very hard. I know how hard it is. I'm a man. I still know how hard it is. I've watched my wife go through this terrible humiliation. Some of you have arrived in Bloomington intent on getting a hood something that goes over the top of a robe and allows you to parade with elegance every commencement. And we have called you to embrace the foolishness of the Gospel and to repent of your seeking of honor among men, intelligent men, of not taking pride in your SAT scores and in the degrees that go after your name, but rather to take pride in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's been hard. It's been very hard. And so we've regularly heard from some of you that you came to Bloomington, you thought to get a degree, but you found that you came to Bloomington to get brothers and sisters in Christ and to learn what it is to live in humility with other believers and to be taught the Word of God. Some of you, when you came here, You believed that it was good to boast in your voice and in your instrument. And when you came here to church, what you found was that your instrument was absolutely worthless unless it was played to the glory of God. And so you said, well, that works because your instrument was dignified. And as it happens, church music has always been dignified. And and so you can have both the pride of the instrument or your voice and the pride of worship at the same time. And then we taught you that you couldn't have that here. That if you were proud, you wouldn't be asked to sing. And if you thought your instrument was superior to a guitar, we were going to shove a guitar down your throat. And you didn't like that. It was hard. It was very hard. Because you thought you had chosen a discipline that worked perfectly with evangelical Christianity. Some of you came to this church wearing suit and ties and we told you to take them off. Now, not all of you, but some of you were convicted by the Holy Spirit that you needed to stop wearing suits and ties. Not because you didn't enjoy them. Not because you didn't have them but because you realized what they were and you repented of them. Some of you came into this church with wonderful hair. And it was your glory because you were a woman. And as you read Scripture, you began to realize that maybe God was calling you to cover your hair as you assembled with the other believers. And so the thing that was your glory became covered. Because that was your conviction of what God was calling you to do. And it was hard. Some of you came with riches, and you had the elders come to you and tell you that you needed to give your riches to the church. But your riches were what showed your success. It's hard. Some of you came here with churches of 600, 700, and then they went down to 100, 125, 150. You came an effective pastor, hobnobbing with the bigwigs, and God broke you down. And it was hard. It was very hard. Some of you, I don't know what your shtick is, Sports, now they're too. They go to Sherwood Oaks. They don't come here. Um, chair leaders, I used to have one, but I don't think we have any, do we? <coughs> so let me ask you what is your boast? What is your boast? What do you boast in? What is it? What is it? Come on. Okay, some of you came here thinking that a pastor should be up on a pedestal and he's the man that you pay to be pious to prove it doesn't pay to be pious. And then what happened was that you saw Tim Bailey and you retched. And you thought, well, I'm too dignified to be taught by such a fool of a man like that. He's got gray hair and a paunch. Well, let me see you one and raise you ten. Let me tell you a little story about me. A lot of you have come to our house for a meal. And uh, you know that if you come to our house, that uh, there's often a number of other people there. And if you've looked at all at our at the table when you've been at our house, and if you haven't been in our house and you want to come, Talk to us because we'd love to have you. But anyhow, at our table, we have what is is variously called uh, silverware. And if you've sat at our table, you've noticed often that all three pieces of the silverware at your place are different. And I mean different. I mean bearing no resemblance to each other. It would be... Possible for you to have a square, a round, and a pretty. Uh, To have dull silver and and bright silver. So this year I decided that we were going to change our silverware. It was just undignified. And I went on the Internet, because that's me, and I spent many, many hours looking at silverware. (laughs) I decided that we were going to have silverware, because it just wasn't dignified to have what we have. Which is a multitude, a plethora of patterns. I learned alliteration this week, and so I got on the internet and I looked and I looked, and then I got my wife to look with me. And after many hours, my wife said, "Well, that's okay, but I like that one." And so I chose the one that was okay because it was cheaper, and because between heft and beauty, I'll take heft any time. It's heavy. And so we bought it, and it came home, and we opened it up, and I was so proud of our new silverware. And, but when we got it on the table, at the bottom of every piece of that silverware was a basketball. <laughs> and I thought, basketball? You know, it is Bloomington, but this is a little over the top. So we were gone for a week or so, and uh, David and Vanessa were staying in our house. I asked Dave, Dave, would you take all that stuff out and run it through the washer so we can use it when we get back? It was sitting in the kitchen. He said, yeah. We came back. It was all washed, all ready to be used. But at the bottom of every piece was a basketball. And so I thought, well, it is heavy. It has good heft. But there's a basketball at the bottom of every piece. And I thought, you know, this won't do. I didn't listen to my wife. I'm going to listen to my wife this time. I said, honey, I know. You already put a lot of time into this. Let's start over again. So we went on the Internet and we began to look again. And uh, after many hours, we settled on a pattern of silverware. And at the end of the time, it was time to return the basketballs and to get pretty silverware. I hoped it would have some heft. But when it came to actually pushing the button to buy it, I couldn't bring myself to do it. And so we sent the basketballs back, and if you come to our house now to eat, you will find that you will have three different patterns. We don't have new silverware. So we were discussing this with my mother. And we were talking about this silverware we were going to buy. And then the discussion turned to the issue of uh, the nature of silverware, well, you know, it's not silverware. It's stainless. And you know that because you probably have a grandmother that has silverware, right? And so my mother was asking, well, is, is, is it silver plate or silverware? And, and I said, what's well, silver plate? That's what you have. She said, no, I have sterling. That is my mother. Now, what's going on there? You have a whole hierarchy of boasts. I can boast in having three different patterns because I'm an old hippie. You know what I used to boast about? I used to boast about my Brooks Brothers suits because I would buy them at resale shops. And my boast was they were Brooks Brothers suits, but I had gotten them for $12 because I... I I shopped at the resale shop in Manchester by the sea on the north shore of Boston. And all the suits in the resale shops were Brooks Brothers suits. So I could say I wore the same suit as R.C. Sproul, but I only paid $12 for it. Okay? So an old hippie is happy to boast about dumpster diving and what he gets, about Brooks Brothers suits that he got cheaply, and about patterns where there are three different patterns. My mother, being a woman that is inherited from her mother, what mattered to her mother has sterling. Do you understand that? We're the same. And when I want to move up in the world, I go from three different patterns to one, but it's still stainless. Do you understand this? And it's all... Class. Do you understand that? Do you understand it? It's class. And what is class? Class is boasting. That's what it is. If you have a bunch of bumper stickers on the back of your car, uh, they will say who you are and what your boast is. And it may be that you boast, uh, you know, my, my, my son beat up your honor roll student. So you're boasting that you're pugnacious. It may be that on the back of yours you have a fish that's eating Jesus. And your boast is intellectual sophistication and agnosticism. It may be that you have pro-life bumper. You're boasting that you stand on the side. In other words, listen, brothers and sisters, boasting is everywhere with us. You cannot escape it. If you think I'm being unkind to my mother and saying she said she had sterling, you haven't begun to look inside your heart. It is inescapable for us. And the one principle in this church is we will not boast when we assemble for worship. We will not do it. If you think I should be behind a large wooden pulpit, we will take it and put it in a back room, which we did a few years ago. We had one. It was beautiful. It was worthy of His eminence. And we shoved it into storage. And if you think we should boast in our music, guess what? We'll shove a guitar down your mouth. And if you think that you should boast in your pastor, he'll make a horse's petush of himself in front of you. And he'll disappoint you. If you think you should boast in the beauty of the women, in the dignity of our marriages, in the austere elegance of our new facility on the east side, of Bloomington, where all the rich and educated people live, he'll shove us to the west side where hardly anybody educated lives. If we want to go to the west side where the rich people are, he'll shove us up by where all the poor people are. If we want to boast that we own our building, he'll shove us into a public school where we have the indignity of having no more than half an hour before we have to be out because the custodian wants to be done if you want to boast in the fact that you have a certain righteousness, one of the elders will see a sin in your life and will come to you and talk to you about it. Now, let me ask you something. What is at stake in every one of those things? In your voice, in your instrument, in your robe, in your hood, in your degree, in your femininity, in your hair, in your sterling so What's at stake in every one of those things? What's at stake is... The cross of Jesus Christ. We've lost a lot of people from this church. A lot of them. You know why we've lost them? Some of them because they've moved away. An awful lot of them because they got their degrees and went on, but they were changed, many of them. You know, we've lost a lot of people. Why? Because they despised the cross. And I say this with tears. They needed a church where there was a certain weightiness to it, a certain elegance, a certain harmony, a certain rhythm, a certain cool dutishness, where basketball players that play for i u went, where they would never have to worry about their dignity being violated by a pastor and elder where the pastor would preach behind a pulpit so it was clear that you pay him to be pious to prove it doesn't pay to be pious where you could have some safety, some anonymity, some you know, some evangelical christianity come on, you know what I'm talking about? I go back to my home church now. I can't stand it. Can't stand it. You know why? Because all of a sudden Coming from us to them, I just have absolutely in technicolor everything I was. You know, I left seminary. I was the son of a famous man. I had married the daughter of a famous man. You know, at that time, I was fairly good looking. I was bright. I had a degree from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Uh, My father knew Billy Graham. My father-in-law knew Billy Graham. They were friends, you know. Uh, I could go on and on. You know, a Jew among Jew. As for education, Gamaliel. You know, I had it all. And I went into this PCUSA and oh, there's a place where you can get fat and rich and be godly. It's nice, you know, that you can have everything. And I was at that denomination And the Lord taught me the price that I had paid. And let me tell you, I had paid a price. But the Lord gave me people that loved me despite my hypocrisy and unbelief and who led me, godly ways, who led me to restore my faith in God instead of in security and prestige. And finally, the day came when they decided they were going to leave the denomination and they were going to give themselves to... uh, to a small, obscure denomination at that time called the PCA. Of course, it's gaining in status. And uh, the final meeting of the elders' boards of those two churches, because it was the Oak Parish, but we'd been meeting together for a year and a half, the final meeting, I've told you some of you this, uh, we're in this meeting, and I've finally done... I've crossed the Rubicon. I've done the thing I can't take back. I've taken my elders to a Presbytery meeting and they've seen the godlessness of a Presbytery meeting. And after it's over, they say to me, we had no idea how bad it was. So they're back in the church, in the basement, deciding how to leave the denomination. They know they're going to turn their backs on the baptismal font that their grandfather himself made out of wood, on the banners their children just made at Easter, on the tombs surrounding the church where all their loved ones and neighbors and relatives are buried, that the presbyter will come in and confiscate it all. All Alright? They know this. And they're looking at me, and I'm their shepherd, and they said to me in the course of this meeting, why, if you knew this was what this denomination was, why did you go in? And I knew the answer, and I thought, sat there and I thought about it, and my mother was back in the back of the room knitting. I'd invited her to come just to hear the meeting. And I said, Well, why don't we ask my mother that question? So I turned it and I said, Mud, and that's an affectionate term, it's not disrespectful. We call her Mud. I said, Mud, why did I come in this denomination? And just like this, she didn't miss a stroke, she said, For security. And everybody's sitting there going, what? And she said, you wanted security. That's me. Why was I in the Presbyterian Church USA? Well, it was a proud place, you know. It was a place that you could be a tall, steeple pastor and an evangelical. As a matter of fact, we're tall, steeple churches that pay you well won't hire you normally unless you are an evangelical. Generally, the large churches are evangelical. And so you could maintain your Gamaliel connection. You could maintain your Jerusalem connection. You could be a Pharisee among Pharisees. You could be a Presbyterian, right? And you could have it all. And you could be godly. You understand? And every morning I got up and I got in the shower, I wanted to to vomit my life because I knew that I had betrayed the Lord and His Word to be in that denomination. I knew it. There was no question in my mind. And my mother, bless her heart, she said, for security, she said it to all my elders. So, what are you boasting? What are you boasting? Silverware? Silver plate? Sterling? Stainless? Noritaki? What about your car? How about your house? How about your degree? Your hood? How about your ball handling technique? Now, if you come to this church, what you'll end up boasting in is your theological precision. Why, you can can use the same vocabulary as the pastor. You know, I know what the meaning of the word sovereign is which is very hard for Americans because we're democratic, so we never have to be humiliated by having a sovereign. But that's okay because sovereign really means that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. And so you're able to use the word sovereign. And then you listen to R.C. Sproul and you learn to use the word providence. And you may even hit the word predestination. And you may even come to love it and to find it a comfort. Is that biblical faith? Is that what God wants from us? It's not brothers and sisters. It's just another pecking order. It's just a different pecking. It's one more chicken coop. And you say, well, no, those are precious things. Those are biblical things. And I say, well, beauty is precious too. The voice is precious. Instruments are precious. Noritake and sterling. I assure you in heaven that we're not going to be using three patterns of stainless. (laughs) Okay? And in heaven, I think there will be basketball and football and soccer. So what's the point? Well, the point is your heart. That's always the point. And the point is, as Dwight L. Moody said years ago, he said, whatever is the thickest wall of your heart, that's precisely the point where the Holy Spirit, the power of God, will focus its attack. And so every Sunday I try to get up and look at the thickest wall of my heart. And then I assume that you're like I am. And I try to bludgeon it to death. That's the technique of preaching. I just try to bash right through that point. I was reading this last week because Jay gave it to me. I was reading Piper's uh, chapter on on glorying in the cross. And Piper said that he had read an article about how a couple had been able to retire when she was 51 and he was 58. And they'd gone and bought a boat somewhere. And they spent all their time now living on the boat and It was playing softball and one other thing. I don't remember what it was. It was like seashells. I was going to say shell collecting. Oh, but it's like down at Sanneville. All right. And uh, then Piper says, what an awful, awful existence. You're getting to the end of your life. You're preparing to meet your God. And you write an article boasting about how your financial acumen, and your sophistication allowed you to retire at 51 and 58. Now you spend your time collecting seashells and playing softball and living on a boat. Remember Rob Hooper? How many of you remember Rob Hooper? Rob and Catherine moved to Bloomington and it was their goal, and this is what they say, it was their goal to get both get doctorates, she in uh, neuroscience and he in economics, then they were going to move to Washington. She already had a researcher that she wanted to work with at the National Institute of Health. And he was going to get a job in Washington as an economist. And they were only going to have one child. And they expected to earn more than $100,000 a year. And they were Christians. America is the one time in the history of the world where we can... Have it all and be Christians. Where the size of your congregation is proof that godliness pays. The number of books you have on the bestseller list is proof that you're holy and pious. Right? I mean, I hope you have the good sense to say wrong, but then you have a problem, don't you? Because that is American Christianity. So, what is the boast that you hold precious? What's the thick wall in your heart? The Apostle Paul had a very thick wall, didn't he? What was the Apostle Paul like? Do you remember? The Apostle Paul was doing what? He was going around breathing murder to all the Christians. That's what he was doing. Do you remember the first martyr named Stephen? What the Bible tells us is that when Stephen was killed, Paul was standing by holding the cloaks of the men, killing him. And fully approving. Read your Bibles. That's exactly what it says. And then he got his own franchise. At the beginning, he watched others, but then he got his own franchise. And, and he was sent out to squelch this gnat, as the Jewish leaders saw, to go out and to stop the preaching of the name of Jesus. They'd killed Jesus, but the thing was spreading. They couldn't have it. And so they sent Paul out. And he was on the road to Damascus. And then all of a sudden, what happened? God. God. It's the thing we forget when we talk about our patterns of silverware, isn't it? God. When we're writing our dissertations, God. When we're counting our money, God. When we're looking in the mirror and thinking how pretty we are. When we're taking pride in our children and their accomplishments. We forget God. And so he's on the road to Damascus and all of a sudden out of heaven comes a bright light. And nothing is the same after that. He's blind for three days. He can't even see. And what does God say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? Is that what it says? Why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus the one that you are persecuting. Now when Paul had that experience, what happened to him? What happened? Huh? He went blind and then what happened? He fell on his face and worshiped. Then what happened? He went on on his trip and came to Damascus and uh, he hung, he hung, he just stood there. And uh, the Bible tells us that while he was there, let me read it to you. The Lord appeared at Damascus to a Christian disciple named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call in your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is what? A chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must what? Suffer for my name's sake. And shortly later, immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is not this He? in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, in other words. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. <laughs> How long did it take? Immediately. He met Jesus and what happened? He began to suffer, right? But don't worry, that's just for pastors. If you become a Christian, every day, and every way, the world will get better and better. right? It's neat being an American and being a Christian can be the same thing. We live in a wonderful time, right? With many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but Their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might what? Put him to death. Now listen, it would be wonderful uh, if you were a no-name hick from the south because of course all of America looks down on the south. So say you were a toothless wonder. You know, a Willie Nelson front rower all right, from the south. And God dignified you by giving you a call to preach and saying you might suffer for him. For a man like that, that's a step up, right? Is that what Paul was? No, here's what Paul was. He says, I myself might have put confidence in the flesh, Philippians 3. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? You know enough to say no, that's not what it says. Well, what did I skip? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Is that what it says? No, it's not what it says. Here's what it says. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Being conformed to His death. That I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. All of American Christianity, you say, oh, don't use the word all. Haven't you learned that? Haven't you ever had marriage counseling? You don't say all. All Most. Well, it's not really most. I mean, can you really say it's most? All right, some. Well, speak for yourself alone. All right, I. (laughs) I. My Christianity is a Christianity that is devoid of the cross of Christ at the very same time as I say to you, in the cross of Christ, I glory. When the Apostle Paul was in a battle for the gospel, the gospel. you know how he proved his integrity and his truthfulness and the, and, and, and the truthfulness of the Gospel? Do you know what he did? The Apostle Paul did the equivalent that I was teaching the homeschool co-op group this, this week. You read these old Napoleonic uh, uh, novels and there's, uh, there, there are times when there's one particular character who makes it from, from the grunts in the army up to the commissioned officers. It's unbelievable. He's promoted. all right. But the other officers hate him because he doesn't use sterling. He's not the right class. And sometimes he gets nasty. You know what he does when it gets nasty and he has to prove that he is a faithful soldier? He shows his face and it's covered with scars. But if it gets really nasty, you know what he does? He takes off his shirt and he turns and he shows them his back. And you know what is all over his back? Scars from being lashed, whipped. When he was a grunt being whipped by the officers. And then, you know what happens? Everybody's mouth shuts. Did you notice how the book of Galatians ends? Open up your Bibles and look. Look at how it ends. Verse 17. From now on, <coughs> don't hassle me. Don't give me any flack. Let no one trouble me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Now, come on, guys. Can you love Paul? When you read him saying that, can you love him? Or another way of saying it is when you, when you hear him saying that, do you love him? Do you love the Apostle Paul? Or do you think he's a man that sort of lacks a sense of proportion? You know, a man that's just a little bit off. Who is not careful to dot his I's and cross his T's. Who, who may not really care whether it's sterling. Uh, Kierkegaard has a book that I love called Attack Upon Christendom. And in it, he has this little routine where he says, was Paul a serious man? He says, was Paul a serious man? Paul was not married. No, Paul was not a serious man. Was Paul a serious man? You know, and he just goes through all these questions and answers, questions and answers. And every time he says, no, Paul was not a serious man. Do you think that Donald Trump would think you're a serious woman? Huh? Do you think Donald Trump would would, would honor and respect you? All right, you say, forget Donald Trump. All right, how about Oprah Winfrey? Is she going to have you on her show? Let me ask you another question. Do you think that Wheaton College would give you an honorary degree? You say, well, I've never wanted that. I don't even know what they are. Well, those of you that do know what they are, do you think Wheaton College would give Paul an honorary degree? What do you boast in? You know what the Apostle Paul says? He says, (coughs) May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This man is not flinching. He's not flinching. Okay, so what is the thick wall of your heart? What is it? Come on, people. I love you. Don't resent me. I love you. I do love you. And it's my love that's getting me to push you on this. What is the thick wall of your heart? If you love the cross of Christ, you will honestly recognize where that wall is and you will give every bit of assistance you can to the Holy Spirit to bludgeon it to death what does Jesus say Jesus says (coughs) what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul But I've got a great technique, and the technique is that if you pray to receive Jesus, you don't even need to think about whether or not you're gaining the world because you're safe. If you just pray to receive Jesus, you can be a feminist and a Christian, and you don't need to bludgeon the wall because you've prayed to receive Jesus. And Jesus says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? A soprano, a bass, a countertenor. Does that do it or do we have an alto or a baritone? I think we only have sopranos and a and bass and a countertenor, right? Euphonium, guitar, drums... Sterling Dresses Money, 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 money. Ponded Accords Sovereignty Providence. Hey. I, I got a suggestion. And my suggestion is is pretty radical and the suggestion is that we glory in the cross of Jesus Christ and that we take up our own. And that when people call us to kill our idols and to stop boasting that we don't get pugnacious and leave. That we say thank you. It's a biblical suggestion. It's a Jesus suggestion. I got another idea. Let's say that only churches where that happens are called churches and all the other places are called civic religious houses. It's a biblical suggestion. In fact, my most radical suggestion is that we stop lying and that we be men and women of integrity. And that if we are not following Christ, we say, I am not following Christ. That we don't play church and we don't play Christian and we don't talk about receiving Jesus in our hearts, but that we talk about the cross. And until we're ready to talk about the cross and to live the cross, that we don't claim the cross. Now, would that mean that you wouldn't come to church and that I wouldn't preach? No. Because, you know, (laughs) here's the funny thing the funny thing is, none of us would ever get to the point where we were claiming the cross. You know why? Because we're sinners. You know why? The only way you can ever come to church, you can ever take communion, I can ever preach is by faith where I say, though He slay me, I'm going to serve Him. Though He open up my heart in all of its revolting detail. Though He give me a wife who's expert at continuing when I've decided I'm going to stop. (laughs) Though He give me children where I see my sins in them. I will call Him my Lord, and I will love His cross, even though I'm absolutely filthy. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to go away, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I'm not trying to create a cult of perfection where we can't call ourselves Christians until we're perfect. But I'll be hanged if we're going to be a church of liars. We will not be it. And if there's no manifestation of the cross in your life, and if your immediate reaction when you're confronted is to be proud, this is not the church for you. You will either change or you will leave. Because it's way too important to play games with it. And when we get in our new building, you will die again. Because Mike, Bulls will build it, and that means it will be ugly. (laughs) Am I right, Mike? You betcha. And yet, we will have been disciplined by Mike to not spend ourselves into pride. And I say, hey, that's something I can believe in. You know? And we'll put our money into some stupid thing called a pastor's college. You know, where men come who don't even get a degree and it isn't even accredited. Is Church of the Good Shepherd a serious church? No, Church of the Good Shepherd is not a serious church. Is Pastor's College a serious? No, it's not. Does Pastor's College give degrees? Are they accredited? No, they don't. It's not a very serious church. Hey, you know what? We are very, very, actually, we are very, actually, we are very, very serious. We do party well and we have a sense of humor, but we are real serious. So serious that there are people that actually do get offended at us and sometimes want to kill us and not just our wives. Don't move. Don't move. Turn around and look at that man back there. Do you know what he's doing? He's telling me that my elders tell me to stop preaching. My time is over. Now listen, that's the discipline that you will be under if you're a part of this church. You will be under the discipline of being corrected, of being held accountable. So do you boast in the cross? Or do you boast... The Apostle Paul says, may it never be that I would boast. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. My father was a cosmopolitan man. He grew up in New York City, he wore starch white shirts, bowie shoes, and the Lord broke him. I won't go into the details, but I'll tell you, one of my proudest memories of my father was that... After a while, it became kind of cool to be a prophet and people began to try to honor him. And one of the ways they'd try to honor him was giving him honorary degrees. And he said no, and he said no, and he said no. And then he got snookered by one place and he actually had to show up and receive an honorary degree. But when he came home, you know what? We were not allowed to breathe a word of it. And I remember distinctly the day that he got a letter in the mail that said, Dr. Joseph T. Bailey. You remember that much? You don't remember it, I'll bet. And my father was angry because he wanted to know who had let the cat out of the bag. Now you say, well, that's another kind of boast. And I say, no, for my father, that was precisely the right one. Right before he died, I was thinking about getting a doctorate momentarily and I said to him dad do you think I should get a doctorate and doing the typical thing he said well Tim you'll have to make your own decisions and I said yeah but dad would you get a doctorate today if you had it to do over I told you Tim you'll have to make your own come on dad honestly today in this world not your foggy world old fogey you know you know, But this world, would you get a doctorate? And my father said, I have no reason to question the choices that I made. Now, come on. The point is not that doctorates shouldn't be gotten. My father went to physicians who had a doctorate of medicine. That's not the point. The point is, why are you getting a doctorate? Why are you having children? So you can brag about your children? What exactly that you boast in is crucified to Christ? Because you love the cross. Now, there's another application of this, and that is that some of you have never placed your faith in Christ, and yet you have gone through your life having one, Boast after another, boast after another, boast after another, boast taken away from you. And I say to you that if you've lost everything that's precious to you, but Jesus is not yet precious to you, (laughs) He has loved you enough to destroy every idol in your life so that only He remains. And you're at a perfect place to only boast in the cross of Christ. For you, the application of this is, To come to the cross. To place your faith in Jesus. And just to love him. Yeah, you love your husband. Yeah, you love your children. But no, you don't. You have to hate them. That's what Jesus said. And love only him. Boast only in him. No room for anything but the cross. And that's the significance of the meal that Stephen is going to lead us in now. Right? Come forward, brother.